Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organizational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast where today I have a very special guest. He's a brother from another mother. If you guys if you guys could see right now, I've got Pastor Mike Signorelli, who is basically a younger, better-looking version of me. So like right now, unfortunately, this is audio, but if you had visuals right now, what you'd be seeing is an upgrade. You know, we talk about an upgrade in the kingdom. We talk about, you know, God's always interested in moving us onwards and upwards and higher and deeper. And this, today's guest is exactly a physical example of that and, and he's a he's a great guy and he's laughing now but he knows it's true and so i just want to introduce introduce mike to you he's the lead pastor and founder of v1 church based in new york city uh mike's an incredible guy and he just he's he's his overall passion is to help people become what they were created for so i think if you're a leader entrepreneur or even just a dreamer listening to this you can go from chaos to clarity through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's Mike's message. That's his heart. And we're going to have a good time today. So welcome, Mike. Uh, thanks so much. Wonderful leaders, podcast li- listeners. I just want to tell you right now, uh, Dan is an incredibly attractive man. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but an awesome, uh, just such such a well of wisdom. So it's an honor to be here all the way from New York City, a snowy New York City right now. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you guys have got proper snow. We've got English snow here, which is, it's you know, it's a small version of your snow. Yeah, you right. Know, for, but you, you have snow tires and you, everyone's geared up for it in the US, right? Here, yeah, I'm just at a standstill uh, now. Right. I'm just suffering for the gospel out here. And, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So for Mike, I mean, we've got so much to cover off, but let's just start with the basics. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what your leadership life looks like. Yeah, well, listen, if I was tuning into a podcast right now, I would ask myself, I've never heard of this guy. Why in the world should I invest my precious time and my life to even listen to the entirety of this broadcast? So I'm going to go ahead and do like a really quick uh, 30 second elevator pitch for (laughs) Mike Signorelli and and my ministry. So uh, they call V1 Church um, one of the fastest growing churches in America Uh, That's not a self-proclaimed title. A John Maxwell organization called Enjoy actually looked at our data. They did a deep dive on all of our metrics from finance to attendance and said that our front door of our church is as wide as the fastest growing church in America, but our back door is as small as a 30-year-old established church. Um, which is incredible because anybody can bring people in. But so whether you're listening and you're in the entrepreneurial space, you know, it's like you you can bring people into your places, but can you retain them? Uh, And so that's really crucial. So we've achieved that status uh, 2019, 2020. And then they just re-ran our numbers for, uh, you know, Q1 2021. And they said that we're in triple digits growth. And so what's crazy about that, for those of you listening, is that here in New York City, we have not had physical services for over a year. Wow! So just think about the implications. So wherever you're at in life right now, I want to bring so much value. It's not about me. I'm just, but there's mindsets and things that I've learned that I believe can really help you. And hopefully we can data mine and get some of the gold out. (laughs) We launched three physical locations in three years, 
before the pandemic and then achieved fastest growing church in America category three years in a row, like right before and then during the pandemic. Wow. There we go. I mean, that, 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 that's it right there. I mean, praise God, number one. And number two, I think we need to unpack that a little bit more. I mean, I think, you know, because you're, you're, you're flying in the face of so many statistics, so many challenges that we're facing with the physical lockdown and people trying to work out what, what, what is, what does online mean? What does global mean? What do programs mean? I mean, there's been so much, been more questions and answers in the last year. Right. And I think 2020 was a, a year of disruption, like no other, you know, in terms of it disrupted everything from obviously from physically, mentally, socially, spiritually, there was a huge disruption, but for you personally, how was it? And how, how, how can you explain 2020 to our listeners right now? I mean, you've, you've talked about the numbers, but give me, give me some insight. How did that work? Yeah, well, you know, I've traveled all around the world speaking at conferences, you know, in all different spheres of influence, whether it's uh, the creative arts, you know, the music industry, the church realm, the entrepreneurial space. And what I've noticed is that everyone around the world has uh, reasons to believe that their geographic location is the reason why they're not successful. And um, right. I'm originally from Chicago area, Northwest Indiana. And when I moved to New York City, all the pastors called New York City the graveyard of churches. And my perspective on that was like, wait a second. Okay, so you're a pastor who believes in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, but then you're calling your own region a graveyard. That's ironic to me if you have ever read the Bible and seen what Jesus does in graveyards. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, it was like, okay, so you're living in an environment that can prove resurrection power is possible. And so I was like, okay, well, we're just going to launch three churches in three years, go standing room only. And that was a mindset that I had. And it had really nothing to do with New York City and everything to do with New York City, because someone listening right now is getting very convicted because they're convinced that London's the problem and, you know, or South Africa's the problem or, you know, wherever you live. But the truth is, you can be successful wherever you are because leadership principles are like gravity. You know, it's, they, they exist the same everywhere in the world. And so when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of people who said, now the pandemic is the reason why I'm not succeeding. Right. And, you know, but they, but they don't realize that that is a mindset that they've transferred into every season of their life and they're always blaming. And so so instead of escaping your geographic location, graduate it, you know, graduate from it. Or instead of trying to escape the pandemic, because a lot of pastors, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're like, I can't wait for the pandemic to be over. Right. And while they were trying to endure it, I was trying to graduate in the midst of it. Wow. And I literally thought to myself, I'm going to act as if this pandemic never ends and reorient orientate my entire organization and my entire existence around this pandemic. And I'm so here's what I did. Um, and, and I also want to say this. I'm extremely introverted. Nobody believes me because I'm, I live my life in the limelight, which is ironic. I always say I'm like Frodo Baggins where God entrusted me to carry the ring to Mordor. It's like, I don't want the <laughs> ring. I don't, you know, I don't want to be this like hardcore warrior guy. I just, um, I just want to go back to the Shire <laughs> and read a book and, 
and hang out. So um, for me, my wife had been begging me for years and years, Mike, you need to do a daily live broadcast. But as an introvert, you know, I, I, you know, it's like I preach because I want people to get free. I want to break chains off of their lives, not because I want to be famous, right? So the idea of holding a phone to my face and broadcasting was like cringy. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want, that's cringy. It's awkward. Like, I don't want to be one of those influencers in the wild, you know, uh, <laughs> the New York city guys. Oh, hey, I got my latte in one hand and my phone <laughs> in the other. I'm like, that's not my version of ministry. I'm kind of old school, you know? So my wife's like, but listen, you can't shepherd your own people physically anymore. So would you do it? So I grabbed my phone. I'm like, all right, you know what? She sold me on that idea. So it starts out where I have 80 people on my broadcast on Facebook, then 90, then 100, then 200, then 300, then 400, then 1,000, then 30,000. So now a year into the pandemic, my, my Facebook page reaches 2 million people a month. It's blue check mark verified. And I think it's hilarious because I wow. don't even have a private personal Facebook page because I hate Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> to, to anyone listening here that's on Mike's Facebook page, he doesn't mean that really. <laughs> keep listening, keep checking in. <laughs> yeah. And I just asked myself, here's the thing, because now I have pastors from all around the world and entrepreneurs asking me, how do I reach 2 million people a month without paid ads? And what I tell them is if you are terrible at pastoring in real life, you will be terrible in a digital context. If you're, you know what I mean? If you don't have the goods, if you don't minister to people, all I'm doing is what I do in private closed door settings, but with a million people. It's like, wow. you know what I mean? And it's not about me, ironically. It's about them. What do they struggle with? What are they afraid of? What are they? And I just every day speak. And I will say this. It's the Mr. Rogers effect. Do you guys know about Mr. Rogers out there in London? Explain, explain to our listeners. Okay. So when I grew up and I was a child of the 80s, so shout out everybody who is a child of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. um, there was a television show in the United States, Mr. Rogers. He was not that charismatic. He was kind of lame. Truth be told, he was lame. He was boring. But he was on every day at the same time. And there was something about his consistency that produced peace. And there was something about him just showing up every day. And I, what I've learned is that low quality at consistency is so much better than high quality at inconsistency. Wow. Right. So during this pandemic, you know, and for those of you who are entrepreneurs or your ministry leaders, I believe in father's heart ministry. And so it's not about being the best dad. It's just being about the dad, being the dad that shows up every day. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, because some days I, I hit it out of the park. It's the greatest broadcast ever. People are crying. And then some days I just make it through the broadcast and I move on. But I've showed up so consistently that it built this massive community that I converted into V1 Church membership. Wow. Amazing. You know, you've given a lot of um, nuggets of wisdom there. I want to drill into, I want to drill a little bit deeper and drill into your life because you've been on an incredible journey, even the last 12 months, you know, from, from just sort of having to 
to sort of step outside of yourself and step into that new realm and step into leading the new way. Tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. And I've checked into a lot of your broadcasts and you, you've got an incredible influence and incredible impact you're making globally, you know, with your church family all the way from New York across the globe. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. But tell us a little bit about the man behind the scenes. You know, how's your leadership journey developed and how did you start and how did you, how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, and you know, it sounds like a cliche, but the areas of your greatest pain often are the areas of your greatest purpose. And it sounds right. like a cliche, but I had multiple abusive stepdads. I grew up in a home with a single mom. Five, I'm the oldest of five kids. We were on public assistance. You know, here in the U.S., it's welfare, which means we were in food lines. We had food stamps, they called them, which were like physical stamps that were basically this internal system for paying for food. And it was embarrassing. And actually last night I was thinking about how in my school growing up, I had, I was what, what we called a free lunch kid, you know? And so we were so poor that our lunch was free. So that's my story. You know, a lot of pain, multiple abusive stepdads. Um, but that was where my greatest purpose was because now I'm a spiritual father to millions of people and I know what it's like to be orphaned. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to even be a young man where you have no idea what you're going to turn into because you don't have a physical father. So even puberty and those developmental stages are like, what's going to happen? Some, you know, I have a beard. I know the listeners can't see me, but it's like, how do you shave? I remember, how do you shave? Um, you know, and, right. and learning everything on hard mode, like playing the video game of life on hard mode. And my mother is a, you know, incredible woman and she tried her best. But for me, the local church was always a place where I was surrounded by men that tried their best to help me through every stage. And I feel like my mission is to be that for other people now. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the area of greatest pain. And, and for those of you who are listening, it's often the things that you don't want to do carry the most power. And so it's like, I didn't right. want to do, like, I don't want to do a daily broadcast, to be honest with you. It's like, it, in, and so I do it because it's a labor of love. And, uh, you know, if you think about that, that idea, it's like, like winners will do the things they hate to achieve the results that they love. So it's like nobody in their right mind would try to preach for an hour every single day, five hours a week, and then preach on Sunday. Right. But it's like, but what happened is my diligence in that area put me in the short line. So it's like what, what every other pastor is not willing to do. It's like I've put, repositioned myself and put myself in the short line. So for me as a leader, I found that it's like, well, I have five. I, I mentioned I'm the oldest of five. So I have four other siblings. Ironically, they're all super extroverted, the life of the party. So for me to be the preacher, for me to be the communicator, it's like hilarious to my family, you know, but, and so if you're listening, it's like some of the things you don't want to do, some of the things that may, like, I'll put it like this. I get nervous before every single time I preach, I sweat because I'm nervous, but then the greatest compliment I get is how authentic I am. Right. So it's like, it's how you separate those. I don't know. Maybe there'll be some magic moment where I stop being nervous, but my leadership like journey is me forcing myself to do the things I don't want to do and it working. <laughs> uh, well, and you know, that's so powerful to hear because I think, you know, for, for younger leaders or aspiring leaders, it's kind of like, 
it's very easy for younger leaders to want to see the end game. They want the results. They want the big numbers. They want the metrics. But actually to get to those metrics, you've got to go through not only the hard yards, but to do the things you don't want to do. I mean, you've consistently said you are disciplined and diligent in doing the things that aren't natural to you. Maybe they're a labor of love as a, as a phrase that you've used. And I think there's such powerful leadership principles for people to engage with. Because, you know, when, when, when you check you out online and you hear your, your messages and you see your daily broadcast, it's powerful and dynamic and anointed. And you think, okay, this guy's on top of the world and he's always had it his way and he must be like the perfect preacher and have the perfect life. But actually, you're sharing the real life that goes behind it and the journey you've been on to get to where you are today. And yeah. I think just uh, just side sidestepping that a little bit, how how do you see that from a church perspective? Because you've gone, as you said, from three physical locations to completely digital, completely online. Do you kind of like, sense that that is a longer term shift not only for v1 church but for the church in general you know are we reaching audiences how do we reach new audiences how do we how do we become a relevant church for the next generation yeah and i will say that relevant has nothing to do with age so if someone's listening 60 70 80 years old i would argue that there's as much or more opportunity in the digital space for you because right. oftentimes we think that, oh, well, people don't want to see me because of whatever age I'm in, which I've actually seen the opposite. Actually, on TikTok, there's a guy, Korean dad, and he has millions of followers. And he literally starts each little TikTok with, hi, I'm your Korean dad. And you read thousands of comments of people saying, I'm crying right now. I'm crying. I needed this. I needed this because the internet needed him to be who he authentically was. And that to me is what, so there's this term that I've been wrestling with fidgetal. And, the, and so I've been thinking about this. It's a fully fidgetal. So it's physical and digital. Right. So what does it look like to be fully fidgetal? And I see in Acts chapter one, verse eight possibility. So Jesus said, and this is the last thing Jesus said. This was his mic drop moment. You know, we're like, and you know, you usually save as a leader, you save your most important point for the end, right? Right. So he goes, Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And essentially he says locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Right. And so the internet, ha we have these un this unprecedented opportunity. But for me, I think where I see people struggling is they, they can't determine, is this an audience or a congregation? So I just, that single question, everything in the growth of my church is hinging on that one question. Are you an audience or a congregation? And so my goal is to convert you from audience to congregation. Right. So I've built out every system to be fully fidgetal. And so let me give you some examples. We have connect groups. So we have a, um, a, a Monday night addiction recovery group. All I did was ask our um, connect group leader, would you be willing to put a laptop or a phone in the middle of your physical meeting that has people represented uh, nationally? and give them an opportunity to hear what you're teaching, but also respond and engage with those in the room and you. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. It explosively grew. So it's fully physical and it's fully digital. And then what's crazy is here in the United States, there's such strong relationships being made and people now are traveling across country to meet their connect group leaders in person. 
So it's wow. fully fidgetal. And I think that whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a church leader, you can integrate them where it's 100% what it was before the pandemic and 100% what it was during the pandemic at the same time. Amazing. There's a book right there. Oh, come on. I didn't think about that, but I'll give you a royalty. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. No, but I think, I think you know, just, just yeah, I, I, there's so much in common about that. And some of the leaders we've been journeying with, wonderful leaders, are, you know, you, you can see those leaders that are on the edge of what God is doing and looking to the future, are capitalizing on, on, on new spaces and new spaces of grace that, that haven't been there before. There's like there's a whole new space of grace that's there right now for those leaders that will that will move into that space that will be brave enough and bold enough to say do you know what that's where god is that's where he's moving i'm going to step into that whether that's digital digital social you know building can rebuilding connect groups in us in a new way interest groups whatever it might be there's a new space of grace that is being developed during this pandemic for leaders to step into Yes. I want to say something about that because it just got me fired up because I know there's someone listening who's like, I don't like the digital space. I'm annoyed by it. I want this to be over. But a lot of it is just being willing to adjust and then it becomes your new norm. But I had this radical realization in the middle of the pandemic where I thought, and I'm going to say something really bold right now, but this will, this will keep the ratings up on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, I had this moment where I thought if I were the devil, just hear me, just hear me. Okay. Yeah. If I were the devil, I would assume that all the powerful pastors would never try to do deliverance, cast out demons, or even confront me online. Because, you know, for me, I live in an analog world. When I travel to other countries, I've cast demons out of people. They've manifested. And, you know, as a pastor, that's a normal thing. You know, Jesus said, you'll cast out demons, you'll heal the sick. So then I had this moment where I'm like, wait a second, the devil is counting on me not trying to do this digitally. Right. Like I'm thinking about his strategy because, you know, as, a, as like somebody who's actively engaged in war, you have to think like your enemy. So I thought kind of a screw tape letters moment, like a C.S. Lewis moment, I thought, wait a second, the devil, like we've grown accustomed to preaching the gospel through digital mediums, but what about confronting the works of the enemy? So I had a broadcast where I said, I'm going there. I am going to confront the works of darkness. And people all over the world started spontaneously manifesting demons, vomiting, crying. They were in the comments, like I'm throwing up, I'm puking in my garbage can. And we then... Those same people are like, well, how do I maintain my freedom? Then I said, well, okay, well, if you're spiritually orphaned and don't have a church, join our connect group so we can. So really, I, you know, the connect group story sounded really good and like sterile, but I needed to connect it to the, <laughs> the dirty side of like these people literally started getting demons cast out during a broadcast because I was confronting. And then I connected them into our connect group system for discipline. So it, that that's crazy. That's like one of my craziest stories from yeah. the last year, but that's to me, fully, fully fidgetal, <laughs> <laughs> fully fidgetal. I love it. And I think you know, when we're talking about those spaces of grace and being on that cutting edge, that is, that is it right there. That cutting edge where you're confronting the, the powers of darkness with the, with the, with light and with the gospel. I mean, that is it right there. That's incredible. Tell me a little bit, Mike, about, um, you mentioned just before the recording, like we're talking about fidgetal now, but you guys are planning another plant, right? 
Yeah. Well, this is the concept. And I'm going to just, I've learned that if I'm faithful to give all my secrets away, God gives me more. So I'm oh, just going to well. tell you you know, so I, I'm because I'm an I'm an ideas guy. I'm a strategist. I'm an innovator. So there's been times where I'm like, I don't want to tell them my secret sauce, but then I give it away, <laughs> and God gives me another item on the menu. So, uh, so here's what I'm looking at. I I believe in accountability. I believe in real discipleship and disciple making. I think that if you're in the entrepreneurial space or if you're in the business space, you must be a disciple maker. You will not succeed. Or in the very least, you'll be doing mathematical, like adding and subtracting versus multiplication. So V1 Church believes in disciple making and disciple making produces multiplication. Yeah. So, you know, I'll put it like this. If you launch a church hoping that you'll make disciples, maybe you will. But if you make disciples, you will eventually be forced to launch a church. It's just simply, it's that simple, you know? So for me, we make disciples and some of these churches are going to look like Starbucks, you know, where it's like 20 people, 30 people, Starbucks is small, but then some of them will end up looking like Ikea and Ikea is regional, but it's large, you know? So for me, I have a Starbucks and an Ikea model. And you're probably picking up, I'm a non-binary thinker. So Mm -hmm. for me, both and is a totally justifiable answer. You know, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's either or I'm either digital or physical, you know, but, or it's, I'm either all my church locations have to be massive or all of them have to be small. For me, I'm a both and thinker. And so even I feel like somebody's giving a revelation right now while I'm talking and in their own personal life, I feel it happening while I'm talking because they've been confused, you know, like it has to be this or this. It's like, no, maybe the answer is both. And so for us, we have all these watch parties, uh, 30 people here, 40 people here, 50 people here, and we're going to continue to nurture them and shepherd them and pastor them. And, but then we also may be able to catalyze that into an Ikea So what's happening right now is in Northwest Indiana, we have a group that is explosively growing. And I I actually showed up in person and literally there there's over 200 people. Now it's getting close to like 300. I don't, you know, and and it's insane, which in a normal church plant realm would be a launch team, but it's just, but it's disciples making disciples. So it's multiplying so rapidly that we have been forced to put a pastor over it. And God really responded in a powerful way because it's someone who worked under me for years. Um, and we are now taking it on a journey to become a full-blown physical location. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? Just really, <laughs> isn't that praise God? Again, it's that, it's that fidgetal, as, we, as you're calling it, going to a whole new level, a whole new realm. And, and just one encouraging testimony in, in the time of what is global disruption, we're seeing God use you and, and, and the things that he, you put your hands to, to absolutely change communities, whether they be small communities. And, and, I, and I love the fact that you've picked on three or four different community t- types right there. I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, that, that, does that cause a leadership challenge for you? You know, how, how, are you, how are you, you know, as a senior leader here, how are you journeying with other leaders? Because you're surely, you're kind of, having to keep keep those things, the momentum and the organization, the structure around that. So how, how is it your journey in some of those things with leaders around you? Yeah, I will say this to anyone listening. We don't value size. We value proper placement. Because for far too long, our only metric is if the numerical value goes up. 
Right. So it's like that doesn't say anything about quality. So it's like someone can say, well, I have a 3000 person church and we're like, okay, but that's the number of attendees. What's your sending capacity? We know your seating capacity is 3000. What's your sending capacity? What's, or we, you know, what, how much does your church weigh? Not just how much does it measure? Cause there's some churches that are small, but have a gravitational pull. They weigh a lot, you know, then there's other churches that are big in size, but zero impact. So it's like, it's, it's what, and so for me, I value proper placement. There are some leaders that excel in groups of 20, 30, 40, 50. There's, it's just like when Moses was with Jethro and Jethro said, we have to break these people up. Moses, you're killing yourself trying to lead the whole nation of Israel. And he said, there's a different designation of size over each person and we'll break them up according to what's proper for their designation. And so for me now, I've always had V1 College. So we do have an in-house leadership development program called V1 College. So I have a leader making factory and people are going through that. But then our goal on the other side of that is not like usually in a traditional factory, each product comes off the assembly line being, and the goal is that it's identical. My, my leadership development process is actually the complete opposite. It's become who you were created for. So when you come out on the other end of our leadership facility, this leadership production factory, it's actually a, a more like we're a puzzle making factory. And each piece is like coming out etched and cut into its perfect placement. And then when you put it together, it's this picture of V1 Church and the vision that we have. Love that. Love that. Brilliant. And so, so Mike, I want to just, you know, I want to drill down a little bit back into your life again and just sort of, you know, just explore your own leadership a little bit more, if you don't mind, just for the next few minutes. And I suppose I want to ask you, what are some of those leadership keys that God has given you in in your personal life? You know, what are some of those, those things inside of, you know, what it's like as a leader, there's certain go-to places inside of us, there's certain keys we have in our life that we know unlocks doors in our life and in other people's lives. Absolutely. Well, I love leadership keys. And some of the things that I live by, number one, is that present is better than perfect. So I show up. Another way of saying it is my greatest ability is availability. Right. Like my greatest ability is availability. Present is better than perfect. And that for me alone is like, for example, most pastors, and this, there's nothing wrong with this, but they preach on Sunday and then they disappear Monday through Saturday. So whether I produce a book, a piece of content, or even a live stream, my greatest ability is availability. Like you were hurting on Sunday and I ministered to you, but you were hurting on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I was ministering to you. So my greatest ability is availability. That is a wisdom key that I've learned. And I was actually, I used to be, um, at one point I was, um, a teacher and I taught composition and this is way back in the day. And I went to this, this secular, uh, it was, a, it was basically a secular teachers conference. It was a national conference here in the United States and they had a renowned futurist. So his job was to take an amalgamation of all of the data from uh, global data and, and to look at trends and try to extrapolate, extrapolate from that what, what is gonna be the greatest need in the future. Right. And I, I remember when he gave the result of the number one greatest need in, our, in the future of our lifetime, the whole national conference gasped, like collectively like went, <gasps> And he said, the greatest need will be spiritual significance. 
And he said this to a, a, this was in a national conference. This guy is, he, he literally, uh, he, he, he leads presidents and people global. And he was like, it's not going to be basic resources like food, water, shelter, because we will mobilize the techno, te, you know, technological advances to ensure that everybody will have universal internet access, universal access to, and he was like, we are going to get to a point in our lifetime where basic needs will, will all be fulfilled. And then it will create a tipping point where spiritual significance will be the number one need. That was when I quit teaching. Wow. Like literally that moment was that when I said I must go into full-time ministry because Amazon, Jeff Bezos does not know how to provide spiritual significance, but I do. And wow. I will beat him in the future. And V1 Church and what I'm going to do will be more prolific and more essential than Amazon because he, because, because this was a secular conference this was not a church conference you know what i'm saying yeah and like, yeah that's yeah why absolutely. everybody gasped because they're like we're screwed i know how to teach kids math but i don't know how to give them spiritual significance and i'm sitting there like i know the answer it's jesus <laughs> wow yeah one of the most bizarre callings into full-time ministry as well uh, a, yeah. a, a, a secular teachers conference listening to a secular futurist well, and I have multimillionaires that I consult and they're suicidal and they say, I have everything anybody would ever want. You know, once you get past like $5 million and, you know, you get to this realm where it's just like, what are you going to do in your lifetime with that money now? And they don't have spiritual significance. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. Me, you know, that wisdom key is if you have spiritual significance you know, Paul said, I desire that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. Right. So for me, it's like any industry, any, and whoever's listening right now, whatever you do with your life or you are endeavoring to do, if you can figure out how to uh, basically embed spiritual significance into your products, into your teaching, coaching, mentoring. Like if that can be the linchpin for everything else, you'll be successful. Wow. Brilliant. Wow. We could stop right there. <laughs> Got a couple more questions though, but that was, that was, that was a mic drop moment right there. That was brilliant. So just get Mike, I want to, I want to stick on the track of your life a little bit and, and sort of the journey that you're on. So what kind of leaders do you, do you look up to or do you journey with or have you learned from, you know, who's, who's around, who's around your world or who has been around your world, whether that be physical or in a book, alive, dead. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, I had mentioned that I was raised by multiple abusive stepdads, had a very difficult past. I had this providential moment where uh, I was at one point, my mother was in the hospital and she had tumors and cysts and, and uh, you know, she was struggling with that. And so at 17 years old, I actually started providing for my family financially and for my four siblings. It was a, it's part of my story uh, and my testimony now. And so I had this providential moment where uh, we lived in a house in South Chicago and I went into the attic to go look for something else and stuck in between the, the joists of the attic was a book. And I plucked that book out and it, it was all covered with dust and I wiped the dust off of it. And it was by this guy named CB Hedstrom. And he was this uh, really renowned, well-known Chicago businessman who was a, also a Christian. And the, the title of the book, you can actually find it for free online because it's so old, is Payday Someday. 
And I remember reading that book and just bawling my eyes out and crying because the story of the book is that his mother gets sick and he has to work financially to support his brothers and sisters. And I'm reading this book in complete and total shock and awe. And what happens is back in the day, this was like in the 1920s, it was customary. He worked at a shoe store and it was customary to actually change the shoe size because uh, for women, because it was like, you know, it was women wanted smaller feet. And so if they wore a size 11, you would put on their size eight, right? Because they didn't want to think that they had this massive foot. So because he was CB was a Christian, he refused to actually change the number on the box. And so the, the person supervising him said, Hey, I know you're a Christian. I know that you feel that this is lying, but this is just the way things are in our society today. If you don't change, we're going to fire you. So he said, I can't lie. That's not in my value system. I'm a Christian. So long story short, they fired him. So he went back home to his sick mother and said, I'm the only source of income, but I'm so sorry to say that now we're, you know, we don't have any, a job. And, and his mother prayed with him and said, um, we may not have butter for our bread. We may eat meat less often, but I have a son who serves the Lord and I have everything. Thank you, God, for my son. Well, he goes out and he starts working all these little side hustles. And a couple months later, the shoe store calls him back for an interview. So he goes back to this and I'm reading this book because, and this is a story about mentorship and leaders in my life because God will divinely send people into your life. He will send books into your life. And some of you are on a divine encounter, even listening to this broadcast right now. But what happens is he comes back to the, the shoe store and he's begging for his job back. And the guy interviewing him starts laughing. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm not trying to give you your job back as a shoe salesman. I actually asked all the employees, who's the most honest person, you know, and they all started laughing saying it's CB. He wouldn't even change the shoe size. He's that honest. So I called for you because I want to put you in charge over this entire store. Wow. So it's like, I'm reading that book at 17 years old that was stuck between the joists and the ceiling of, and he mentored me, a dead man mentored me. Because I made a commitment. I said, okay, I'm providing for my mother now and my siblings. And I have hope now that it always, integrity always works. And I'm, I'm going to make my commitment to be this kind of man. Now, that same guy ended up becoming um, a very, an international business leader and he, and a Christian business leader. And you guys can read the book if you want. And like I said, it's free. It's called Payday Someday. But my point is, for me, the leaders in my life have always divinely been sent into my life. You just have to have your eyes open to see it. Some of them will be alive. Some of them Great. will be dead. I believe for many of you faithful listeners, Dan is actually a leader in your life that God has sent to mentor you through this podcast because it's not just the people that he brings on as guests, but it's also the wisdom that he has and the revelation that God's given him. So I want to encourage you to like keep on listening. Make sure you subscribe um, because divine appointments are all around us. 
Yeah, agreed. No, thank you for that, my friend. I appreciate that. But I, I agree with you. I think that's a, a hugely powerful testimony of your own life. It's very easy for people. And you've mentioned spiritual fathering as well a couple of times throughout the, throughout the broadcast. And people can get so locked up and say, but I don't know who to talk to. And I've got no one. God always has a way. God will always give you an answer. God will always be there for you. And I think sometimes you've got to open your eyes to the things that God is doing and to the books that are in front of you or the opportunities that are around the corner or the friendships you already have or the, you know, and connect into people one of the, my messages over the last few months has been christians need to be connected do not be alone the enemy enemy mm. wants us to be alone he wants to keep us in the darkness he wants to keep us out of the light and we've got to put ourselves in the light we've got to let the light shine and sometimes mm. the light shines through other people and i think you know that, that validates and goes right back to what you're doing when you're letting your light shine in front of people and darkness cannot prevail darkness will not prevail over what you're doing because the light of god is shining so I think on. that's awesome. And I think, I mean, I've got a question, uh, the question I, I want to ask, but I'm scared of the answer because, <laughs> <laughs> because one, one of the questions was, it was, you know, we're looking at the thing, we've been looking a little bit and journeying the steam around new horizons, you know, coming through this pandemic, we know that new horizons with new grace, space of grace, as I was saying earlier, but what are some of your passions and focus for the next season? You've explained a lot already. So, you know, you know, feel free to give me a short answer, but where are you at? What's God saying to you about this next season? For me, the next season is all about providing more value to people. What, not, what do I want to give them? What do they need? Right. And then number two, it's, can I, can you raise up and release other leaders you know, because it's all about, I think my goal in my life, and it's going to be very morbid, but this is the shortest answer possible is when people walk past my casket, they look me in, they look in my face and they say, that man pushed me to do more than I ever thought was possible. He believed in me more than I even believed in myself. And I'm going to carry the torch. And I, I think if you can live your life in such a way where it's not the Mike Signorelli show, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, and people look in your casket and they say, man, I became who I was supposed to be because of his life. And not that I, I was that. a lid. Cause you know, a lot of leaders are the lid, right? They die with the baton in their hand. And the next generation has to pry it out of their rigor mortis, decrepit hand, you mm -hmm. know, and it, you know, after somebody dies, they go rigid. So mm -hmm. then they die with the baton in their hand and it's hard to rip it out because they never taught you finances. They never taught you how to lead a church, never taught you how to write a book. They never taught you how to market. And then you got to pry it out of their dead hand. So for me, it's like, I want to die completely and totally empty. Love Nothing that. in me, no more books, no more podcasts, no more sermons, like an empty shell. And other people say, this guy pushed me to be more than I ever could in before. And I'm grateful for that. Love that. What a life mission right there. That's amazing. Love that. Brilliant. <laughs> and so the final questions we come to land, Mike, you know, looking back at your life and your leadership journey so far, what is one piece of sort of leadership advice you would have given you'd give your younger self? You know, we, we've got a, we've got a lot of younger leaders that will listen to this. You know, a lot of people that are on their way up, so to speak. And, you know, the way up is the way down. We know that. But, you know, what was one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? The biggest advice I could give my younger self. And I wish I could. I time travel by mentoring younger people. So every single time I have regrets about my past, I just mentor someone in that age group and feel like I time travel through their life. But the biggest advice is EQ is significantly more important than IQ. In other words, your emotional quotient is so much more important than your intelligence. I cannot tell you, Dan, 
how many people I meet around the world who are more talented than me, but they are jacked up in their emotions. They, they, and their emotion is the thing holding the back, like their wounds and their trauma from their past PTSD, whatever they're dealing with emotionally will hold you back intellectually. It's not an, most of the time it's, it's not an intellectual problem. It's an emotional problem. Even atheism, you know, uh, Socrates said it's a, it's a disease of the soul before it ever becomes a misunderstanding of the mind. It's like so much of atheism is literally people's emotional problem and they mask it with intellect. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, I'm not talking to somebody on an intellectual level. They're just intellectualizing their emotional trauma. Right. Even in a leadership space, so much of what I deal with that presents itself as an organizational or intellectual problem is just somebody's five-year-old trauma, six-year-old, seven, eight. And I'm just dealing with the child version of them that never got healed. And I, for me, if I could go back and tell that to my younger self, it would change everything. So much of this political drama through the pandemic and all this, everyone thinks that it's a political problem, but they don't realize it's just children fighting the wounds of their own childhood over and over and over and over again. And it presents itself as intellectual. So I would go back and be like, no, just deal with it on that level and you'll solve way more problems. <laughs> well, there is another podcast episode in itself, isn't it? Right there, you've just opened up a whole nother sort of broad broadcast and stream possibly another book like you're saying i think it's brilliant i think today i've counted maybe three or four books at least at least right there you I know need a ghost writer yeah i was gonna say i hope someone's transcribing but that's brilliant no pastor mike signorelli it's been an absolute honor and privilege to spend time with you thank you for your insight thank you for your time and mm -hmm. uh yeah i really hope that you're have you sold into our ministry i trust that god will bless you in everything you're doing absolutely thank you so much we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the wonderful leaders podcast to be part of the community join our close facebook group and follow us on twitter and instagram simply look us up at wonderful leaders and we'll see you there